0: Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You know, the most important event in human history is the death of Christ because that's what enabled the salvation of all mankind. I thought we'd talk a little bit about the death of Christ tonight from John 19, John chapter 19, which is, I think, the most detailed description of the torturous crucifixion of Christ. Why talk about it? Well, one reason we might want to talk about is that as we talk about the details of the suffering, the pain that Jesus went through, his death for us, I'm hoping then that that will help develop an appreciation in us for what Jesus has done for us. And the more appreciation we have for what Jesus has done for us, the better motivated we're going to be to serve God faithfully. I mean, on this program, we study a lot about, we'll call them doctrinal topics. Gay marriage, women preachers. Uh, baptism. And if you have a question about any of those topics or any other topic, give us a call. Get on the air. 877-655-6755. Tonight's lesson is a little bit less doctrinal, more motivational. Look, if we learn to appreciate what Jesus went through for us, the sacrifice he made for us, then when we study something doctrinally in the future and that demands a change in our belief and practice, we're going to be more willing to make a change in our belief and practice to match up with what the Bible says because we'll think about what did Jesus do for us. So John 19, to me, is perhaps the most detailed description of the suffering Jesus went through. John 19, verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Uh, You know, you may not know what the scourging involves. Did you ever see the movie, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ? Well, I saw it basically on tape. And, and the scourging, it was pretty gruesome what they did to him. They took this whip with many tails and they, maybe they tie bones to it or rocks to it. And then they just whip the back of what they consider to be a criminal. In this case, Jesus was innocent. They, they whip Jesus' back so much it just basically tore the flesh off his back. It was horrendous. And it sh- and it just r- reminded me of the, uh, what I should have known already, that the amount of pain that Jesus was going through. It was just just terrible. Let's see if we can take this call. Bible Crossfire, William from Colorado, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
1: Hey, how you doing, Pat? In Matthew uh, 27, 46, the Lord says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the Aramaic Bible, same verse, it says, my God, for this reason I was spared.
0: I was wondering about the, uh, about
1: the difference there.
0: Okay. First of all, I think you're mistaken about the Aramaic Bible. I've never heard that before. I do not think that's true. In the Greek, okay, in Greek. Well, in sh- Greek. well first, so, Jesus, Jesus says it. Here's why I say that. This Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachtimi is the Aramic, and then, then Matthew, by inspiration of God, is translating the Aramic for us. Now, he originally translated into Greek, and then then the translators came along, the King James 11, uh, version in sixteen eleven, and they translate the Greek. But but the Greek is saying. What Matthew is saying by inspiration of God, that the translation of the Aramaic is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So God, the father forsook Jesus at that moment in time, he had to forsake him, He had to turn from him because Jesus was taken on the sins of the whole world. So I don't think you're correct about the Aramaic Bible. We have the Aramaic right here. And Matthew, by God's inspiration, says the translation is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?
1: Okay, my Aramaic Bible says, My God, for this reason I was spared. Well, you just, you my- just
0: said something in, in English. So that cannot be your Aramaic Bible. That was English that you said. So your Aramaic Bible can't have said that because that's English. The Aramaic okay. is Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That's the Aramaic here. That's right there in the English version. They tra- they transliterated it for us, the Aramaic. But anyway, uh, I've yeah. never seen the Aramaic Bible. I've never seen it, so I can't say for sure that you're wrong. It just looks like from this verse, it looks like we have okay. Aramaic right in the right in the verse. This is very rare that we have the Aramaic, and Matthew is telling us the translation of it. My God, my God, why for oh. suffer a second me. Okay, if I wasn't driving, uh, my Bible does
1: have the... Uh
0: Eli Eli uh Laai, okay, yeah, so that, that means, yeah, and that means my God, my God, why well, has thou forsaken me, according to God, He's the one that wrote this, but I'll tell you what, William, I'll call you after the program, we'll so we'll connect up, and then so you when you get home from driving, you're a truck driver, yeah. So that yeah, when I'm, get headed, home out, I'm headed out. To,
1: I'm headed out to Texas right now. So whenever so. you
0: get back home, whenever you can look at your Aramaic Bible, maybe we can get on the phone and do, look at it together. What do you think? Oh, sounds good. Thank you for your call, William.
1: All right, thank you. All
0: right. So we're talking about John chapter nineteen. We're talking about the scourging that Jesus went through. The, the, this they the, the lashing he took on his back would have ripped the flesh right off his back. So even before Jesus is cru- crucified, he's suffering immense amount of torturous pain. If you have a Bible question or comment, you, the lines are wide open. We appreciated that call from William. Call us at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. And so then we come to verse two of John 19. John 19 verse 2, it says, And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Now really, they're mocking Jesus here. A crown of thorns. They're mocking the fact that he is supposed to be the king of the Jews. And purple is the royal color. So they're mocking him. But this would have been more, this would have been mentally painful. You know, somebody mocks you, make fun, is making fun of you. You're probably, it's going to hurt your feelings a little bit. But it's more than that. There's physical pain here because It's a crown of thorns. These thorns are going to be sticking into his scalp. And you're probably pretty sensitive. I'm thinking we're pretty sensitive on our scalp, our nerves. It's going to be bleeding. It's going to be hurting. Again, he's already been scourged, and now they're sticking thorns into his scalp. Again, tremendous amount of pain that Jesus is going through for us. Jim from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, brother, I
1: just want to say I love to hear people. Talk about the whipping post. In 2012, when I went to Bible school, I started learning about it. And I, I'm 20 years, 1996. was the last time I've been sick. But starting in 2012, I really made it something that I had to do because I told myself every time a cold or a flu tried to get me, I'd say, no, no, no. And I'd hear that whip in my mind and I would say, No, I'm not having it because of all that. He couldn't go through that for nothing.
0: I can't do it. So I love to hear other people talk about it. Thank y'all so much. Thank you for your call, Jim. Thank you for your call. Thank you. You know, the the um of course we, when we have suffering, if somebody gets sick or somebody gets cancer, we certainly want to pray for them. And if God answers our prayer, yes, God may, uh, heal somebody, maybe through the doctors or, uh, whatever means he decides may heal them of cancer or, or whatever sickness they have. But Jesus, what he healed on the cross was spiritual sickness, sin. He was taking care of our sins. And so we're looking at John 19 verse three. It says, and, and said, hell, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. So, so here's Jesus. He's on the cross. He's got a crown of thorns on. Well, I guess he's not on the cross yet. He's it's leading up to the cross. He's already got a back. The, the flesh has been ripped off. Now they're hitting with their hands, probably on his face. Another um, insulting kind of physical punishment that Jesus is going through for us. For us again should help us to appreciate what Jesus has done for us so that we're going to be better motivated to serving faithfully in the future. If you have a Bible question or comment, 877-655-6755 is the number to call. Now, John 19, beginning in verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, an officer saw him, they cried out, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, them take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Hey, another important fact about Jesus' death. We talk about how that they, this is how they execute a criminal, like a murderer. Jesus is completely innocent. Even Pilate says, I find no fault in him. <laughs> the guy that's about to order his crucifixion finds no fault in him, because Jesus had never committed a sin much less a crime. Angie from Maryland, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
2: Hello. Um, yeah. Okay, so the Bible says that, you know, once we're saved, our sins are forgiven for as far as the east is from the west. But yet another part of the Bible says that we're going to be accountable for every thought deed that we've done. And I heard another radio preacher say that that's hogwash, Once we're forgiven, we're forgiven. That Jesus isn't going to bring all that up again. What's your
0: thought on that? Okay, when you become a Christian, for example, in Acts two thirty-eight, Peter told believers, "Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins." So, when a person repents and gets baptized, he gets the forgiveness of all the sins he's committed up to that point in his life, assuming that he repents. It won't do any good to get dunked in water if you don't make a commitment to change your life in regard to sin. To, to to make up your mind, you're going to quit serving sin and start serving start serving Christ, start serving righteousness. But assuming you repent, you're a believer, you are forgiven of all your sins. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to commit any sins in the future. You commit sins in the future, you're still going to need to be forgiven of them, Angie. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's why Christians are told in 1 John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. So a Christian, he's gonna sin, hopefully a lot less than he did before he became a Christian, but he's gonna sin, we all do, but we have to receive forgiveness for those sins and, and you do that, you ask God to forgive you, you confess your sins. Simon, a Christian who sinned, was told to repent, therefore this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of that heart may be forgiven thee, Acts 8, 22. So a Christian sins, we repent, we confess, we ask God to forgive us, and we're forgiven. But what if, Angie, after we become a Christian, we sin and we refuse to repent? We refuse to confess. It. We get our, we uh, we're proud of it. Then God's not going to forgive us. So we are going to be held accountable for our sins. You see that, Angie? Well, yeah. I, I,
2: what, what about you know the the Bema judgment, where every thought and deed that we've done as a Christian is that different?
0: No, so, so God is going to bring up your sins, but not the ones he's forgiven you of. It's talking about the sins you haven't been forgiven of. I'm looking at Hebrews 8 right now, Angie. In okay. Hebrews 8, it says, uh, uh, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So he's going to forgive us, and what that means is he's not going to bring them up again. He's going to forgive us, and he's not going to remember them anymore. They won't be brought up again against us because we've been forgiven. Now, yeah. you have to repent to be forgiven. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Yeah. So once you repent, as a Christian, you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you, he won't bring it up again. So he will not, not remember all- them anymore.
2: So there's not going to be an accounting um, for every deed done in the flesh as a Christian if we repent it.
0: If we repent and and, and confess to God, we'll be forgiven of them, Okay? okay?
2: Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate that input.
0: Thank you, Angie, for your call. Okay,
2: bye.
0: So here's the thing about Jesus in John 19. He's being executed just like a common criminal, just like a murderer would be. But he's innocent. As I said, he never committed one sin. He was tempted like those we are, yet without sin. Uh, Hebrews 4.15. Didn't even commit a sin, much much less a crime. So he's completely innocent. You think about that. If Jesus is completely innocent, yet he sits there. He could easily prove he's innocent. He just sits there and takes it. He doesn't argue his case. Uh, If he had argued his case and he'd had an effective judge, he would have been let off because he was innocent. Why didn't he argue his case if he was innocent? Because if he had got off the hook, then that would have thwarted the whole mission he had for coming to this earth. And that is to die for our sins. But that's another thing we ought to appreciate about Jesus. I don't think I could have done that. Suppose they're putting me on trial for, say, murder or something, and I'm innocent. And they're going to execute me if they convict me. And then I know I can easily prove my innocence. I don't think I could just sit there and and say uh uh and not say anything, but Jesus did because he loved us so much. He died on the cross for our sins. He um, he he left this he had it made in heaven, you might say. He left this lofty position, became a man, a servant at that, knowing full well he's gonna have to suffer through all this torturous pain, this death. He must have loved us an awful lot because he didn't get anything out of it. It was all for us. It was all for us. Eric from Arizona, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay. Uh, my question was, uh, uh, when was Jesus born? Bible does not say when he was born. You know, are you yes, talking sir? about what year or what day of the year?
1: Well, my concern was that everybody that I know of for many years, December twenty-five. And Christians uh, celebrate as his birthday.
0: Okay, so even the people who originally came up with that date, December twenty fifth, which was some number of centuries ago, even yes. they admit they don't know when Jesus was born. But because they don't know the day that he was born, they just kind of made up a day to celebrate his birth. The Bible doesn't say what day of the year he was born. Doesn't really even tell us what year he was born. I mean, we yes. have we say we're in now we're in two thousand twenty two. We're thinking of we've counted. 2,022 years since Jesus was born, but people now think there's a mistake and that he was actually born in 4 B.C. So we really don't know what year he was born for sure. Oh. We definitely don't know what day of the year he was born, okay? You know, I the Bible never that. tells us, Eric, to celebrate his birth. Yes, it's, it's good to study about his birth. Luke, in the first chapter or two about Luke, it goes into detail about the events surrounding his birth. It's good to study that. But what the Bible does tell us to do is... To have do the Lord's Supper, the Communion, to remember His death. So when we eat the bread and drink the grape juice, we're showing the Lord's death till He comes. First Corinthians 11. We're we're remembering and being thankful for His death and what it does for us. So instead of celebrating His birth, why not do what the Bible teaches and celebrate and remember His death with the Lord's Supper? A lot of churches just do that haphazardly instead of making it an important part of their worship services. Any uh, follow-up questions, there? Well, let me
1: just go ahead and throw this at you. Catch it. <laughs> I'm Apache. I'm concerned. I want the truth. You know, I'm Apache Indian. But uh, I have asked uh, many. On, I'm on Facebook, Eric Johnson Jr. But uh, a lot of Christians got mad and told me, leave it alone, you know, December 25 and all that. But a lot of Facebook friends that are not Christian they kind of told me maybe uh, September, October, according to uh, Mary and uh, Joe's going back to to register or something. And online. scholars, researchers kind of, kind of ended up in somewhere uh, September, October. But they don't know the real date because it's not in the Bible. I, yeah. That's why I had this question. I wanted to know, are you, am I supposed to? Uh, yeah, I'm saved, born again. Thank you, Jesus. But Eric, right. if, if God was, had wanted December us to 25? know Jesus,
0: if God had wanted us to know Jesus's birthday, He would have told us in the Bible. And because He doesn't tell us Again, in the Bible, that means yes, we don't know. We don't know. Okay. Appreciate appreciate yes. your call, Eric. Well, thank you, sir. God bless you. Keep up the great work.
1: We're listening to you right now on the uh, one thirty one. You oh, have okay. a good
0: evening. Okay. So appreciate those calls. If you have a, another Bible question or comment. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. So we get down to John 19, verse 7. John 19, verse 7, it says, The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. I can tell why he's afraid. He's about to think about crucifying the son of God. And uh, and they say he's, uh, I mean, he's about to crucify this man and they're saying he's the son of God. Well, Pilate's thinking, what if he is the son of God? If he's the son of God and I'm going to be the one to order his crucifixion, I would be afraid too if, I was, if there was any chance I was going to be the one to kill, to execute the son of God. He was afraid. And he says to Jesus, where did you come from? Uh, he's, he's wanting Jesus to say, whether or not he's from heaven or not, you know, whether or not he's the son of God or not, because if he's really the son of God, he didn't want to crucify him. That would be, that would, to crucify the son of God would be probably the worst sin imaginable, the worst sin in the history of mankind. Pilate's getting afraid. What if I'm really crucifying the son of God? I'd be afraid too. And then starting in verse 10, then said Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now I'm not sure why uh, that the Jews would be considered to have the greater sin more than Pilate, simply because Pilate was given the power that he has, the political power he has by God. But I do know this. This does say that Pilate got his power from God, and what that would really say is probably. I'm thinking it would mean that any politician that's in power got that from God, so, and that would apply to uh, apply to any either party here in America. The uh, Donald Trump got got to be president because God let him be, and Biden got to be president because God let him be. You know, I think what we ought to learn from this is that for a Christian, politics ought not to be important, because all that's important to us is trying to serve the Lord. God's going to put in power who he wants to, whether it's Trump or Biden or whoever else. What we should be doing is trying to serve the Lord and get as many people to become Christians. Instead of trying to get them to become Republicans or Democrats or to vote for this guy or that guy, let's try to get them to be Christians, faithful Christians. Instead of preaching about what politician believes what about gay marriage or abortion or all this, how about trying to get people to change and quit being a homosexual, quit supporting abortion, Quit allowing women preachers in their churches. Quit sprinkling babies for baptism. How about get, instead of trying to vote about that, why not just try to preach to people the truth of those things and get them to, to quit doing those things? Anyway, the politicians are given their power by God, evidently, from John nineteen eleven. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. John from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
2: Yeah, you know the Bible says it's not ever one that says unto me, Lord Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven.
0: That's exactly Damn, right. Gonna... That's Matthew seven twenty one. You quoted it just perfectly, yes. I think. Yes. We gotta live right to get to heaven. You know what that tells me? Go ahead.
2: There ain't going to be no sin in the end.
0: Yeah. So you know what that tells us is a lot of preachers, John, will say, all you got to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. But Jesus is saying here, no, just believe in Jesus is not enough. You have to do the will of the Father, which is in heaven, to amen. go to him. You see that, amen, John? Amen, Matthew 7, Many in, other I'm passages. Enjoying, go ahead. I'm enjoying your program. I'm enjoying your program. Just just keep keep up the good work. Appreciate your call, John. There are a lot of passages okay. that teach that same thing. Hebrews five nine, talking about Jesus, said He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. So John's exactly right. Matthew seven twenty one, Hebrews five nine, many dozens of other passages prove conclusively it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. I mean, John uh, James chapter two says, "Well, even the devils believe and tremble." It's not they're not going to be saved. They believe. No, it's the people that believe. And obey, as the famous song says, trust and obey. I mean, if you look at Second Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9, you're going to see this idea of trust and obey that that song made famous. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So, so if you want to avoid flaming fire vengeance from God, if you want to avoid everlasting destruction, in other words, if you want to avoid the bad place, H-E-L-L, you've got to know God and obey the gospel. It takes both trusting God and obeying the gospel, belief and obedience. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It takes both belief and obedience to be saved from your sins based upon the blood of Christ. To get the blood of Christ to wash away your sins, you have to Trust and obey Christ. If you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, I want you to uh, give me a call or text me at 256-682-9753. 256-682-9753. Appreciate you listening tonight. A lot of good calls. I want to invite you to listen the same time next week.